Ladies and gentlemen of Lafayette. The Hammered Down Show with Jared Jesolitis is Lafayette's number one sports show. Yes, I'm excited. He totally went to Jared. The voice of Lafayette sports. The cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. Send us your thoughts on the text line at 765-447-4080. Now go to that voodoo that you do. Which is not going to be a lot uh but we'll discuss that here in a little bit plus um i've only been telling you what is going to happen with this expansion stuff for months on end now and now all of a sudden the big names are on board with it huh somebody's been reading my dream journal let's go ahead and check out our need to know news here's your need to know news All right, your MLB trade deadline has come, and it is gone. And uh, the Cubs did not acquire that left-handed reliever that so many thought that they would. They sat with what they had and worked out last night. 20 runs on the board in Wrigley for them. 20-9 the final over the Reds. Cubs hit seven homers. Dansby Swanson had two of those bad boys. Had five RBIs on the night. That was something. Steele goes six innings, nine hits, four earned runs. And six strikeouts. Game three is tonight. 8.05. Drew Smiley gets a start against Brandon Williamson in a battle of lefties. Another must. All these games against the Reds must win for the Cubs if they want to make this playoff push. They got to get past the division leaders. Cubs are fourth in the league right now versus lefties uh, in strikeouts, unfortunately. Not great. Reds with the seventh best uh, average hitting against lefties. Cubs uh, are 14th in that category. Huh. Good to know. White Sox did not get an offer they liked for Dylan Cease. I told you yesterday it was a slight possibility, but they didn't feel like they needed to do anything. But they did find uh, an offer for Jake Berger that they liked. He's gone to Miami. Really? Left-handed pitching prospect Jake Etter comes back in that deal. I want to miss the Berger man. I mean, that dude was... Absolutely smashing baseballs. I mean, he was top 10 in the league at 25 homers. 25 homers in 88 games. Max Muncy has 27 homers in 88 games. Pete Alonso has 31 in 98 games. Everybody else in the top 10 has got well over 100, so they got what? Almost, most of these guys got anywhere from about like 15 to 20 games on Burger, except for the two that I mentioned. A steal for a bat. 
by any metric. Yeah, he's hitting 214, but boy, he's sending baseballs to Mars. Sox also uh, picked up right-handed pitcher Luis Patino from the Rays for cash considerations. And uh, Keenan Middleton. Bye-bye, man. You're going to the Bronx. See ya. None of these moves helped last night in the 2-0 loss to the Rangers. Just three hits out of the White Sox. Luis Robert Jr. smashed a ball 109 miles per hour into the air and should have had a two-run homer. And hit that weird gap in right center that's like 4-10. And it was caught literally right at the top of the wall. 410 feet. It goes out in like almost every other stadium, I swear. Insane last night. Haney had a night for the Rangers, struck out 11 White Sox in six innings. Uh, Schlotten's was pretty good, especially early on. Six innings, three hits, just one run, which was a solo homer. Goes with six strikeouts. And maybe the White Sox got something there. Game two is tonight, 8.05. Dang Dunning up against Dylan Cease. Cease's ERA for the month of July, less than stellar, 4.50. June, he played the same amount of games, racked up a 2.20 ERA. You'd like to see him get back to form. Uh, our good buddy and old friend Mike DeFabo reporting that uh, Corey Trice uh, has been put on IR for the season uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers with that uh, leg injury that he suffered yesterday. So, He is done for the season in his first padded practice of the year. Uh, um, According to uh, multiple sources, a group of Big Ten presidents have begun exploring expansion to 18 or 20 teams. Uh, That's as Dan Wetzel and Nicole Arbach also talked about this. If you listen to the show, you know the four schools that I'm going to tell you. Oregon, Washington, Cal, Stanford. Man, I do not tire of being right all the time. Okay, not all the time. But uh, that is something that I have been championing for quite some time. That those are the four that were in play. Those are the four that was going to happen. We'll get into it a little bit later. That is your need to know news for uh, this Wednesday, August the 2nd. All right, not too bad night on the uh, ball diamond on the old bets for us last night. I believe we got two out of three on those pitching props there. So uh, let's go back to it here today. There is a bunch of afternoon baseball, but still a couple of spots that I feel like you can still take advantage of later on today. It is getting ready to start, but Joe Musgrove's up for San Diego Over five and a half strikeouts for him. Six of his last seven games. He's hit that Colorado seventh worst against right-handed pitching K percentage. Six worst in the last 30 days. He's averaging 7.3 Ks in his last five starts. But you're running out of time to get that in. That's like two minutes away. So I'm going to go back to my man for the Mets. Kode Singa. Oh, I love this dude. Six and a half strikeouts tonight. Hit the line in three of his last five. Unfortunately, the last two have not been. um, Those haven't been games that he's hit that mark. So there may be this worry that he's kind of regressing a little bit. But 
Take into consideration that you know it was five and three against Washington and Boston. Washington is the best team in the league uh, at not striking out to right-handers, and Boston is a top ten team in that regard as well. But the goodness or MS Kansas City is uh, they're not exactly remarkable um, in staying out of the K zone for uh, right-handed pitching. So this should be a better matchup for him here. It's a little bit higher than I like. I wish that was at 5.5. But 6.5, I'm going to go ahead and play that. That's uh, that's my best pitching option here this evening. Wish I had a few more there, but yeah, you don't force it. You never force it. As for hitters tonight, um, I don't know if we have anything that's... I, that Atlanta game had most of the good stuff. I mean, Bellinger, if I remember correctly, it's never a bad thing for him against a lefty. I mean, dude's hitting 317 overall. He's mashing lefties 347 this year. Dang. Seven homers and 110 plate appearances for him against lefties. He's slugging 633 against lefties. Oh, he's much better at home, too. By the way, he's hitting 320 overall at home. He's taking on Brandon Williams and never faced him. But Williamson with a 3-2 record of 4-4-8 ERA and a 1.34 whip isn't exactly blowing the doors off of anybody. Good outings, though, against Arizona in the Dodgers where he didn't give up any homers, only gave up three runs. And he's been in a bit of groove here. But I just love the way Bellinger mashes the ball. Honestly, if you go down his... Like, box scores for the, like the last five or six. He's got W's in his last two starts. Not huge strikeout numbers. I mean, he'll be like between three and five is his real sweet spot here. But, I mean, five innings, two earned. Six innings, one earned. Six innings, two earned. Three innings, none earned. Five innings, two earned. Two innings, three earned. He has been better most recently. So maybe he's just due for that regression. But Ballinger is just so freaking on fire right now. You want to take him against the lefty. I'd be on board with that tonight. I mean, for Pete's sakes, he was three for three and six last night. Three runs, a homer. He's just crushing it. Last 20, what's he hitting last? 375 the last 21 days. He's hitting 350 over the last 14. It's hard not to get on Cody Bellinger with like a couple of bases, maybe. If you're on FanDuel or if you're on, I'm sorry, DraftKings that hits runs and RBIs, I feel like he's just, he's made for that category. Boy, he's covered hits uh, over one and a half hits, runs, and RBI in the last one, two, 
Uh, oh, he missed the last game against St. Louis, the last two games against St. Louis. But before that, another three or four games, he covered that. That's where I'm kind of looking at here. I like Senga. That's the dude. Mountcastle's another guy a lot of people are on here today. People are buying into the Orioles finally. Um, if well, we're too late here to jump on to Manny Machado against Kyle Freeland. I didn't realize that game's like I, I hate afternoon baseball. I am the worst at afternoon baseball. I never get any luck, even though I get all these great numbers. Never get any luck in the afternoon baseball. I've basically sworn it off. Evening baseball only for me. We're going to take a break. We're going to come right back here. Hang tight. More from the Hammer Down Show here. We'll let's talk a little Purdue football practice, all right? What do we hear? What do we know? That's next. This is the Hammer Down Show, 1017 Hammer. 101- the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer, 1017 The I'm Jared Jessel. I just you know you can always reach out on the Hammerhead text line at 765 447 4080. The number again. Uh, 765-447-4080 today, the first day uh, that Purdue actually out on the field. You know, everybody gets together yesterday for the uh, 1st of August, then here we are. Uh, we're getting after it here in uh, in practice. Not full pads, but, you know, they are uh, rocking the helmets and everything, too. As media, we're able to watch a little bit, then, you know, we get kicked out. I was not there today. But, um, you know, the usual guys are there. You know, Tom's out there, Sam's out there, and, you know, a few other folks as well that cover for a bunch of uh, different publications. And the first thing that really strikes you here is, all right, who's good to go, who is not good to go just yet? And much like Big Ten Media Day, Ryan Walters does not want to let you in on a lot of these injuries. So guys like Gus Hartwig, Garrett Miller didn't go today, reportedly. Uh, Salim Turner Muhammad did not go. Sidnor didn't go today. Daniel Johnson, Andre Oban, Prince Boyd. Ethan Cole was out all spring anyway, still not in there. Uh, Coach Walters asked about that. Says, you know, he's not worried about anybody. Says everybody's, you know, fine. Everybody is on um, pace, what they should be doing. One thing that I notice here, and I'm looking at everybody's write-ups and everything too, is some of the bigger questions that we're looking for, we're not going to get answers to clearly. Right, I understand there's a lot of juice going on at camp. Everybody's happy about that. Um, you know, Coach Walters can speak to the press, talk about how uh, enjoys the communication, the hard work, all the offseason stuff. That's great. It's good stuff to hear. Doesn't answer some of our questions. Like, what does that wide receiver hierarchy look like? Who steps up? Who's lead dog? Who's second option? Who's going to try to make a name for themselves? That's probably one of the biggest stories here. 
outside of the depth of the offensive line, which again, we're only going to get so much here. I, for one, am very interested about what that secondary does look like. Just the defense in general. You know, you really thought you were starting to make a... (sighs) I want to be careful how I put this here. Because after the Diaco fiasco, I mean, perhaps the bar got set a little bit low there because that just... Again, was those were dark times. But to see that defense under Brad Lambert for the year that he was here and then you know passed on to Ron English, you thought that you started to see some flash of this thing being a lot better. It still had trouble with the run defense. It seems like it's just been a hallmark at Purdue. But you felt like they had a little bit more juice and swagger here that was maybe starting to come around a bit. Now you've broken it all down. You've got a bunch of new pieces and a whole new coaching step. How does that come to fruition? It's only the first practice, and we only get to watch so much. I'm not upset that we don't know these things right now. Coaching staff might not even know. But it is not like how it used to be where we go out there and, and watch you know, some of these practices go for a while. It's just, it's it's not like that anymore. Right or wrong, this is what it is. I'm not going to argue whether it's right or wrong. Their team, they feel like that's the smart thing to do, and it probably is. Try to limit as much as possible. We've talked about this over the first four games. You should go ahead and do it. Hudson Card apparently looks very good. Quote, he's got poise, he's good with communication, and you can tell he's just more comfortable with his surroundings, said Coach Walters. Marcus Bowe talked about transitioning over to tackle. He played there in high school. Seems happy enough to do that. Oh, Cam Allen spoke as well. Kyle was nice. Kyle Charles was nice enough to send me some uh, audio from him that I can't play because I it's in the wrong format. I figured out how to train, how to uh, how how to switch the format of it. But thank you, Kyle. I appreciate that. Well, other than that, I mean, what are you going to get out of the first? I, I, we all have questions that just can't be answered after one practice where we've, you know, only been exposed to you know with like twenty minutes, half hour, I think, is what it is. I mean, I got offensive questions too. I'm very interested to see Garrett Miller. Very interested to see Garrett Miller. I mean, people forget Payne Durham, as as good as he was, was the second man behind Garrett Miller. Garrett Miller doesn't go down with that knee injury at, in uh, fall practice. That's going to be one of my bigger what-ifs of the last decade for, for, for Purdue football. I'm not going to go so far as to say, hey, listen, that changes the whole outlook of you know, the Big Ten championship game. But I, I wonder where Payne Durham would be right now, and I wonder where Garrett Miller would be right now had he not gotten hurt. I'm not going to sit here and say Payne is the, the only reason Payne was able to have that season and go to the NFL is because Garrett was hurt. 
I'm saying that he's not a great player that could have done that, but it certainly helped with your tight end targets when there's nobody behind you and you didn't have to climb a mountain of a very good offensive player like Miller was. Not trying to throw any shade in that direction, but I'm very excited to see what Miller is going to be capable of this year and how this coaching staff is going to use him in the offense. And the other thing you're looking at, too, is that running back room. I believe Tom wrote down the Montreal Dean just looks massive. And Tyrone Tracy now moving over to, to, to running back as well. I don't know if you've gone out to like Slim Chickens and seen Devin Mockaby or anything like that, but uh, he's, looking a, he's looking a lot stronger. So, I mean, that's an exciting unit right there. Plenty of questions still left unanswered. The good news is, and this will be the good news every day, is you're coming out of these things and you're not talking about anybody being injured. Except for the guys that are already coming into camp injured. Can't avoid that. But we're not talking about somebody in a critical position going down on day one. And that's great news. And that's going to be like literally the first thing I look at every day when it comes to these camp reports is I just want to see the health of everybody. And if we come out unscathed on that, that's fantastic. That's the win right there. That's the win. We're going to take a break here when we come back. Yes, the Big Ten seemingly uh, looking at four Pac-12 schools Pac-12 presented their, uh, their their TV deal, possible TV deal, to its member schools yesterday. I'm going to tell you about that. I'm going to tell you about the schools that they're reportedly targeting, what the Big Ten might do next, what the next steps are. I got it all for you. That's coming up next. It's the Hammerdown Show. On- It is the Hammer Down Show, 1017 The Hammer, 1017 TheHammer.com. Jared Jessalitis. All right, um, it's getting kind of confirmed here. Uh, Dan Wetzel had something to say about this. Nicole Arbach had something to say about this. The Big Ten has begun preliminary talks to potentially add two to four more schools, and uh, they would be tar- targeting Pac 12 schools. Those list of schools are Oregon, Washington, Cal, Stanford. Yesterday, the Pac-12 did present a, a media deal, which they do not have in place for next season, by the way, to their teams through Apple streaming. Details aren't fully finalized, but for them to realize the money they want to make, they need to hit a specific subscriber benchmark to do that. So you need an Apple TV Plus subscription. The early revenue estimates were as low as $20 million per school. So you have two problems there if you stay... One, you have a limited um, a limited set of eyeballs to tune in each and every week. you got to think that most football 
is on linear television, right? Your your ABCs, your ESPNs, uh, and those sort of things. You're not on Apple TV on Saturdays looking for football unless you specifically want to watch Pac-12 games. $20 million, they're hoping to get that up to around like $30 million, but you would need to really build on that. And given the fact that what people wanted to do with the Pac-12 network, I think you should have an indication that maybe you're a little unrealistic. Big 12 is going to get you $31.7 million guaranteed. So it looks like Arizona is on its way. Arizona State and Utah could potentially flip. Now everybody else is looking around here. There's no honor amongst thieves. And everybody's looking for a way out and a better deal here because they're afraid that they're going to be left in the lurch. Now, if you're a listener to this show, you know I, I, I've said this for quite some time. It's Oregon, Washington, Cal, and Stanford. There's nobody else in there that meets your academic criteria. Or really a, a base that is going to do... Like Arizona State, Arizona are big enough schools. Like Arizona State's enrollment's insane. The endowment's pretty high as well. There's... Good money there. That could be something that you would be interested in. The problem with that, though, is... I don't come close to meaning that AAU standard that they like. Those other four schools do. You're also looking at maybe a couple of schools to pair with uh, USC and UCLA out west. You're going to have that option. We talked about this yesterday of... The sun never really setting on your college football empire where you're playing noon games, you're playing 3.30, you're playing 7.30 in prime time, and you got 10 p.m. games. You are on all day, baby. Nobody else can offer that. And yesterday we talked about this with Arizona and going to the regions and, and talking about this potential move, and it sounded like this was going to happen. The question was going to be, does the Big Ten feel compelled to start acting now, or do they want to wait? We weighed both those options. You know, said, you if you're the Big Ten, you go knock it on somebody's door and say, hi, we're we're, we're pushing out $70 million per school. You, you want to come get a piece of this? They're, they're, they're not thinking about that. They're going. They're begging you. But you watch and you saw what happened with the Pac-12. And they waited idly by here during realignment and expansion. And we thought the Big 12 was going to be the one that dies not so fast. So rather than sit on your laurels here, yeah, they're going to put together a committee so that they're ready to go to fire this off if and when the moves have got to be made. So it's not surprising. There is a wild, there's two wild cards here. One is Notre Dame. Big Ten wants Notre Dame. Notre Dame wants to get, 
you know, paid for their NBC deal and remain independent. They can. They'll play their hockey in the Big Ten. They'll play everything else in the ACC. They're more than happy to do that. That works for them. And they may be in a similar situation of as the Big Ten here, where in the future they say, hey, we want to join a conference. It's not going to be too hard for them to get in someplace if they want to do that. However, I think the Big Ten's going to be a better place for them as opposed to the ACC. They're not a match, probably not going to make it work in the SEC. Big's going to have more money for them. This may accelerate their talks with everybody else. This could force them in. Because if the Big Ten goes and takes the four, they're done. That's it. 20, it's done. I don't know that they could go knocking on the door and ask to come in if the, if the conference moves to 20. The other wild card here that nobody's talking about is the ACC. Think about it. They're already facing some, I don't want to say exodus here, but you got this ironclad deal that's going through 26-27 that teams with like Clemson and Florida State, they, they won out of. They're setting out mid-30s range, but you know they'll continue to grow with their deal that kicks in here. They'll probably get closer to 40. The great question here is, would they look to add to protect themselves against the SEC? Because the SEC is going to come calling on somebody else. Where do you think they're going? I don't think they're running back into the Big 12. I mean, who else do they want out of the Big 12 at this point? You got Oklahoma and Texas. Those are the two big names. And you don't care about, what do you do, take UCF, Kansas State? Cincinnati? No. No. For you to expand, you want to go into the ACC. You want Clemson. Probably want another Florida school. I would say probably only one, Miami or, uh, or Florida State. I think Florida would be very unhappy if they both got in. Maybe they want to try to poach a UNC as well. But those are those primary targets. So if you're the ACC, if you can find a way to expand, 
perhaps you're doling out a little bit more money and you've protected yourself a little bit to keep your best teams in the ACC. And also, if you were to go ahead and lose them anyway, you don't have to worry about shrinking. Because if you're going to expand, I mean, what are your options? You're going to go in the MAC? You're going to take a MAC team out of there? Absolutely not. You're not touching the Sun Belt, are you? Uh-uh. I mean, there's just, the, the, it's not there. So I don't count out the ACC. And they're smart. They're kicking some tires on, hey, what if we made a play for some of these guys? Especially if it's a two-team take to the Big Ten. Let's say you take Washington. Let's say you take Oregon. And then you're just sitting there. The Pac-12. Arizona's gone. Arizona State and Utah want to go to the Big 12. Well, they only take one of those teams. Where else do those Pac-12 teams have to go? There's not of a lot of appealing options there. So if I was the ACC, I'd, I'd be working here. I wouldn't be actively doing anything, but I'd definitely be sitting down with my group of athletic directors and go, let's come up with some ideas here and see if they are worth entertaining. Because if this whole era of expansion has taught us anything is, those that stand flat-footed are the ones that are going to fall behind. Look at the Pac-12. When the Big 12 was getting eaten up, they could have maybe made a play for a Big 12 team or two. They stayed flat-footed. Now they're the ones that are getting devoured. I would also argue, too, that the Pac-12 network helped lead to that demise. Lack of a good TV deal helped lead to that demise. A poor leadership for a while. We're going to take another break. We'll come back. Hey, we're going to wrap it up here on the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer. 1017. Just last, we've got uh, things we may have missed. Uh, Northwestern continues to be a dumpster fire right now. Uh, we found out, and I didn't mention this the other day, but uh, they have hired ex-U.S. Uh, Attorney General uh, Loretta Lynch to lead the new inquiry. Everything will be made public, unlike last time. Northwestern's volleyball coach skipped media days. Remember, we've got a uh, lawsuit pending against that team. Now another lawsuit filed against the football team. Former Northwestern football player Ramon Diaz uh, filed a law school against the team, saying he was hazed and mistreated in the program largely because of his race. He was there from 05 to 08. says he was subject to hazing that included the mocking of his Mexican heritage, along with microaggressions from comments made by former offensive line coach Brett Ingalls, uh, as well as sexualized acts that have been previously alleged by other former players. He also says several Northwestern coaches witnessed these hazing incidents or should have been aware of them. Uh, he claims two former assistants, Ingalls and James Patton, who 
also coached the offensive line, made racist, embarrassing, degrading, and harassing remarks towards Diaz and uh, other players. This is, I, we told you this thing was going to be a mess. It's sad. And this is the story for the entire athletic year for Northwestern. Or until uh, Lynch gets this report out and then they fire people. And that's the only way we're moving on from this. Once you get that report and once we get more people fired, and it sounds like more people definitely deserve to be fired, but, you know, we'll get the report. And then they're able to change the culture. Then when these come up, they probably won't have as much of an impact uh, on your thinking, I think, at that point. I mean, as soon as people are, as soon as there's a report and people are fired, you'll see the media will basically move on from this. But until that, the more this comes out, the more we don't know, or we don't know that we don't know, and then we find out about, it's going to continue to be you know, major stories on ESPN. It's going to be big stories in the Big Ten. And coaches keep on ducking media days and in media and stuff, that's fine, but eventually... They're going to be in front of people. They're going to have to answer questions eventually. So, I don't know what the plan is for them. I feel bad for a lot of the players that kind of stuck there, especially in the fall sports. I mean, you don't, what, you had like three, four weeks maybe to. File your paperwork, get out, find a new home, find a college, a team that you would play for, everything that works, go, move, and get all that stuff that's nearly impossible. It's either you try to do that and you roll that dice or you're stuck there, you're dealing with all of this all season long, you're dealing with the questions from the media, you're dealing with questions from the student body constantly. I feel I feel real bad for a lot of kids in this. Not just the ones, not just those ones, but certainly the ones that are, have uh, uh, suffered uh, this alleged abuse as well. Just a messed up situation that's not going to get, uh, it, it's not going to get any better until Loretta Lynch releases the report. We get all the details. And right people get fired. I certainly had my thoughts on that uh, when the news first broke. But we'll see. Hopefully this gives us more concrete answers. Who knew what? Who should have known what? How in the world the president doesn't read the full thing if it wasn't made where to him? Like how does it? How do we get to such a a wishy washy punishment and then turn right around? And I know they 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 spun us the story, but I I, I need I need I literally need an investigator free of all this to tell me exactly what happened. I, we just got to get the truth.
We got to get the truth. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Hammer Down Show. One big thank you guys for listening today. Kyle Charters is going to slide on in here, and uh, he's going to take my place on Thursday and Friday and fill in for me yet again as uh, I try to relax a little bit before we get into uh, high school football mode here. So he's filling in tomorrow, and uh, I will see you guys here on Monday 